Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hi, my name is Robert Lamb, and this is The Monster Fact, a short-form series from Stuff to Blow Your Mind focusing in on mythical creatures, ideas, and monsters in time. On today's special omnibus episode of Stuff to Blow Your Mind's The Monster Fact, we're going to dive into a little chaos undivided, if you will. We have all four previously published episodes of The Monster Fact concerning the chaos demons of Games Workshop's Warhammer 40,000 universe rank and file beside each other. So up first, let's get to know the blood god, Corn. In this episode, I'm beginning a four-part Monster Fact series on the four main demonic factions in Games Workshop's Warhammer 40,000 universe. So first, a little background. The fictional far-future 40K setting depicts an interstellar human imperium with various dark fantasy and medieval elements. This aggressive Imperium is challenged on all sides by equally warlike alien societies, but they also face the threat of chaos. In the 40k setting, the demons of chaos exist in a psychic dimension called the Warp, but they can spill over into what is called real space through various methods and exploits. So in this setting, demons are not the mere creation of religion or occultism, but an actual spiritual and physical threat to humanity. Heretical drift on a far-flung planet can mean far more than just mere rebellion. It can lead to a demonic incursion that consumes billions of souls. There are various ways to divide up demonic factions in a created world like this, but 40k largely splits the forces of chaos into four distinct flavors. Red, blue, green, and purple, representing bloodthirst, chaotic change, 
pestilence, and hedonism, each a major conduit of mortal emotions and mortal souls in the fictional 41st millennium, with each conduit accreting into a powerful entity known as a chaos god. They are Korn, Zinch, Nurgle, and Slanesh. There are other lesser chaos gods as well, but these are the four main factions. And while they sometimes come to a working agreement with each other, they're mostly at war amongst themselves in what is referred to as the Great Game. In this episode, we'll start with Korn, as the so-called Blood God is a lot more direct. He's powered by mortal violence and war. He's all about rivers of blood and pyramids of bone. His favorite color is obviously red, and he's not big on subtlety. His demonic hordes and mortal followers dig horns and blades. They spill blood for the blood god. So really, there's not much to elaborate on here. However, in browsing through the ninth edition Chaos Demons Codex from Games Workshop, I simply couldn't let the unit known as a Skull Cannon pass without comment. There's a lot of talk of skull harvesting with some of the other corn units, and this one amounts to a big honking heavy metal cannon. A couple of red demons called Bloodletters crew the weapon, loading it up with the fresh remains of slain enemy soldiers. The cannon breaks everything down and then fires flaming skulls across the battlefield, again, fittingly direct. Thus far in actual human warfare, skulls and heads have proven poor missiles. But the presentation of decapitated heads to the enemy has a long history, with plentiful examples to be found in the classical and ancient world. The heads of enemy dead might be delivered directly to enemy lines, they might be placed on spikes, or what have you. Ruth Schuster, writing for Haaretz in 2018, points out that Iron Age Gauls even developed a resin-based embalming method to ensure the captured heads of their enemies didn't rot too fast. As Peter Frankopan points out in his book, The First Crusade, The Call from the East, the Crusades saw a lot of head-taking on both sides, and there are Western accounts of Crusader heads being catapulted back into their siege camps in order to hurt morale. The same terror tactics were said to have been used by French Crusader hosts as well, this according to the French themselves in the old French Crusader cycle, according to Sarah Grace Heller in 2011's Terror in the Old French Crusade Cycle. Various other catapult age accounts describe the launching of dead bodies into camps and besieged cities as a means of terror and or biological attack. The age of the canon presented various new ideas of how uh, cannons might be used in one way or another to spread human remains. None of these methods use the remains as ammo against other combatants, but are worth noting nonetheless. The execution method, known as blowing from a gun, often entailed the strapping of a live victim to the mouth of a cannon, resulting in partial or complete scattering of the remains. On the other end of the spectrum, cremated ashes are on occasion spread by cannon fire as a desired dramatic funerary rite in modern times. In a broader sense, however, the use of human remains as weapons dates back to prehistory. Europeans were crafting human bones into weapons at least 10,000 years ago, a practice that continued into recent centuries for other far-flung cultures, at least for symbolic and spiritual reasons. 
Now, as far as the creation and veneration of artifacts made from human bones goes, eh, this is the kind of thing that's probably lost on the chaos god Korn. All he cares about is the hacking, the stabbing, and of course the occasional explosively propelled pyrotechnic human skull. And now for something completely different, Zinch, the changer of ways. It's time to turn our attention to the next chaos god, Zinch. Now that's traditionally spelled with a silent T, but you can really spell the entity's name any way you want to. I think Zinch would appreciate that, especially if you put a great deal of thought into the exercise and mix things up a lot. After all, he is the changer of ways and the demonic master of mutation, trickery, and prophecy. Zinch's focus on change is sometimes perplexing because, of course, change is not inherently evil or ruinous. As described in the 9th edition Chaos Demon Codex from Games Workshop, change is largely the bait by which the Dark God draws in his followers. He promises change. He promises wisdom or insight into the future. But what he actually delivers is manipulation, confusion, plots within plots, and ultimately more out-of-control transformation than anyone sane or mortal can comprehend. The vice he feeds upon is unchecked mortal ambition and deception. As such, Zinch is one of two chaos gods, along with Slanesh, who exhibit strong Faustian elements. He offers tempting immediate rewards in exchange for a great cost of unimaginable nature. The battle forces of Zinch are, of course, bonkers. Imp-like pink horrors swarm across an ever-changing, ever-recreated battlefield, splitting into blue horrors upon defeat, which in turn fall to become flaming brimstone horrors. Now, these are the lowest of Zinch's forces, but his generals are the great blue avian monstrosities known as the Lords of Change. And the most dangerous of these is an individual Lord of Change known as Karyos Fateweaver, the Oracle of Zinch. Karyos manifests as a great two-headed Lord of Change, resplendent in blue feathers, kaleidoscopic wings, and countless gleaming eyes. Fittingly, there are some enthralling elements to unwrap in this entity, beginning with its name. Fate Weaver speaks for itself, but the demon's first name is the ancient Greek for the right, critical, or opportune moment, and in modern Greek, time and weather. It is written that the two heads of Karyos Fate Weaver are all seeing. One looks backwards into the past, and the other forward into the future. The symbolism brings to mind various concepts from real-world religion and iconography, such as the two-faced Janus of Roman tradition, who is god of beginnings and endings, of transitions and doorways. The image also brings to mind Hecate, the Greek goddess who is often presented as triple-faced or triple-bodied. She is a goddess of crossroads, who presents a different form to each direction. So we might easily think of both Janus and Hecate as gods of change as well. As Robert Mills points out in Jesus as Monster, published in the 2003 book The Monstrous Middle Ages, from the 12th century onward there was also a tradition in Christian iconography of depicting Christ with three human faces or three human heads as a way of visually depicting the Holy Trinity or three in one, God, Christ, and Holy Spirit. Mills points out that this is fairly remarkable because these divine images coexisted 
with monstrous depictions of three-faced creatures in medieval bestiaries. And of course, we also have the three-faced Satan in Dante's Inferno. The bird heads of Karyos Fate Weaver and the other Lords of Change are also quite interesting. Certainly, there are plenty of examples of real-world gods and goddesses with avian features like this, but I also can't help but think of a specific medieval depiction of Jesus Christ with the head and long neck of a bird. Mills discusses this as well. The example he points to in the English Book of Hours and Psalter, circa 1300, depicts a strange human-bird hybrid with a long neck and long, vulture-like beak. The creature's loincloth, philosophic air, and body positioning strongly reflect depictions of Christ. Mills wonders if this perplexing creature is a reference to the birdmen described in the Gesta Romanarum, or Deeds of the Romans, uh, from roughly the same time period. In this book, birdmen with long necks and beaks are described as fitting judges because of the distance between their heart and their voice by virtue of their long beaks and necks. See, words rise up from the heart, through the neck to the lips, and the longer they have to travel, the more time we have to consider them and craft them for public consumption. In other words, the avian Christ might be a commentary on the holy value of contemplation and the need to balance justice and mercy. So with the Lord of Change and other agents of Zinch, perhaps we see a similar symbolic effect, only demonically perverted. The Chaos God celebrates contemplation, but only in the form of endless scheming and deception. Words travel long between his heart and his voice because every whisper is finely tuned to ensnare, bewilder, and manipulate mortals to further his own labyrinthine schemes. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Rob, as the, uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. And it's so fast acting, uh, it was already kicking in before I left the house. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. 
With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month. Taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Up next, let's get uncomfortably close to the plague god Nurgle. Today, we turn our attention to the plague god Nurgle, the master of contagion and general grossness. His demonic minions are foul, oozing, and bloated wrecks. His mortal followers also willingly give their bodies and souls over to this sort of corruption. From the top of his ranks, the monstrous great unclean one, to the lowly swarms of Nurglings, we see a common likeness said to resemble Nurgle himself, rotund, toad-like humanoids with rupturing guts and rot-toothed grins. As such, it's easy to equate Nurgle with the Christian deadly sins of sloth and gluttony. But the ninth edition Chaos Demons Codex from Games Workshop tells us that Nurgle is actually empowered by mortal suffering and despair. It is when famines and pestilence are at their worst in the universe, and vast interstellar populations lose all hope that Nurgle advances on their souls and physical worlds. He offers them a bit of twisted wisdom. It is not courage to resist disease and corruption. It is courage to give in to these forces and to embrace Nurgle's blessings. Nurgle's name was, of course, inspired by the ancient Babylonian god Nergal, a god of pestilence, famine, and war, who could be called upon to protect his worshippers from these very forces. He also became associated with the Sumero-Akkadian underworld. 40K's Nurgle is in many ways a darker and more twisted take on these elements. On the battlefield, the demonic forces of Nurgle make for quite a grotesque horde, full of humanoid plague bearers and great slug-like monstrosities. There's also a dark whimsy to such units as the Grand Cultivator, Horticulus Slimux, on his snail demon mount Mulch, as well as the capering Blessed Nurglings. But of course, we have to focus in on the Herald of Nurgle, Sloppity Bile Piper. 
Like other plague bearer demons, he's a green-skinned humanoid bursting with infection and decay. But he's also a jolly soul, full of song and twisted mirth. The Codex tells us that he prances on the battlefield, infected by a deadly and highly contagious laughing disease. In one hand, he grips a jester's merit, decorated with his own face, of course, as well as a steaming mass of guts fashioned into a set of bagpipes, which he plays. His performance hastens the troops, but the Codex tells us that it's uncertain if this is accomplished via inspiration or annoyance. He spreads the dancing plague as he cavorts, and when he eventually falls on the battlefield, his own body will turn into the next set of gut pipes for the next herald to take up and play. Now, there's a lot of fun gallows humor to this unit, but it also may raise some interesting questions about actual bagpipes. For starters, we should clarify that while bagpipes are strongly associated with Scottish and Irish tradition, some form of bagpipes have been played for centuries across Europe and parts of Asia and Africa. In different cultural traditions, it does seem that animal stomachs were used in the creation of bagpipes on occasion, such as uh, the, uh, the stomachs of sheep or seals. But most bagpipes you encounter today are going to be made out of synthetic materials or animal hides. In some cases, the bagpipe may be made from a largely intact skin, with the various stalks of the bagpipes connecting to where the limbs and head of the animal would have previously attached. So on one level, the notion of bagpipes made from flesh is not that far removed from their material origins. Additionally, there is something to the way bagpipes inhale and exhale that encourages the animal comparison. Oh, and of course, the TV series Garth Marenghi's Dark Place exploited this uh, quite uh, humorously in the episode Scotch Mist, in which an animate pair of bagpipes attacks the main character. As for the comparison to be made between bagpipes and human entrails, I actually found an interesting treatment of this in the 1850 humor book Memoirs of a Stomach by Sidney Whiting. The author, writing as a human stomach, compares itself to the bagpipe and shares a supposed origin story of the musical instrument. In it, a necromancer reanimates the stomach of a fallen Scottish warrior as bagpipes. Allow me to read a bit of it to you. Quote, There sat the weird king, wand in hand, and there lay the digestive organs of the departed. At length he uttered a few strange words, and tracing some hieroglyphics in the air with his royal finger, he exclaimed aloud, Change thou thy form, O thing of mighty use, when in the living clay and on thy tube let there be stops and keynotes, and in thy bag let there be wind, and let the natives of this region have cunning to play upon thee, and let thy tones be ever as the shrieks of a tortured man, so that the Arenis may be satisfied, and let thou be called now and hereafter bagpipe, so that what I spoke may come to pass even unto the letter, he said, and his astonished retainers raised from the earth the first instrument bearing that name born unto Scotland. Now again, this is a work of humor and should not be interpreted as Scottish lore. If anything, I detect some possible anti-Scottish sentiments to the work, uh, but suffice to say, that Grandfather Nurgle was not the first to snicker at the idea of stomachs as bagpipes. It's also worth noting that laughing plagues have occurred in the real world, likely cases of mass hysteria, but this is another story and shall be told another time. Last but certainly not least, we have a date with Slanesh, 
the Lord of Excess. In 40k lore, we are told that Slanesh is the youngest of the Chaos Gods, having only truly accreted out of mortal souls and emotions with the fall of the decadent Aldari civilization, an event that all but destroyed the Aldari and tore open a massive warp rift known as the Eye of Terror. Slanesh's domain is that of hedonistic excess, but also that of need, want, and obsession. The demons that manifest in Slanesh's service are alluring contradictions that blur the line between pleasure and pain, desire and revulsion. The demonettes of Slanesh make up most of the Chaos God's battle force, and they feature some favored characteristics of Slanesh's servants. They are humanoid beings with pale flesh and long purple hair, alluring yet also equally ghoulish. Their feet and legs are reminiscent of reptiles or birds, bringing to mind such real-world mythic traditions as that of harpies and succubi. Oh yes, and they also have crab claws. Lots of crab claws. Something that doesn't really connect to any mythic or folkloric traditions that I'm aware of, but they absolutely make it work, and it has become a signature aspect of their look. Demonettes also appear bilaterally asymmetrical, particularly in the chest region, where one side features a female breast and the other a male breast. While titillation is clearly part of this design, it also strongly echoes the male-female duality in the symbolism of Baphomet from occult and Western esoteric traditions. This influence is especially prevalent in the towering Keeper of Secrets, the deadly Slaneshi demon champions, which often, especially in recent depictions, feature strong goat-like characteristics, such as foot and head, reminiscent of Baphomet. But there's another servant of Slanesh that I'd like to talk about here, and that's the Mask of Slanesh. This purple-hued herald once danced in the good graces of the Lord of Excess, but according to the 9th edition Chaos Demons Codex from Games Workshop, the mask fell out of favor with Slanesh and is now cursed to dance and cavort forever across strange realms and battlefields. The dance of the mask emboldens surrounding Slaneshi forces, but also ensorcels enemy troops to join into its spiraling dance where it slices them to exotic ribbons of flesh. This, of course, brings to mind a famous mania from our own history, the dancing plagues of the 14th through 17th centuries. As pointed out by John Waller in A Forgotten Plague, Making Sense of Dancing Mania, published in 2009 in The Lancet, a certain degree of embellishment stains some of these accounts, but cases in 1374 and 1518 are pretty well documented. Most sources agree that dancing plague incidents involved groups of individuals swept up in long bouts of involuntary dancing. The dancers cried out in pain or pleaded for mercy. In some accounts, they danced until they died. While enigmatic and certainly hard to believe from a modern perspective, dancing plagues are not without skeptical explanation. Waller explores a few leading ideas in the paper. First, there's the possibility of ergot poisoning, a topic we've discussed in depth on Stuff to Blow Your Mind before. It's caused by the consumption of fungus-infected grains that can lead to nightmarish altered states of consciousness. 
Waller also discusses the possibility that the dancers could have been in an involuntary trance state, something people are far more susceptible to during states of intense psychological distress. And these centuries certainly provided plenty of stressors. This explanation also required exposure to a pre-existing belief about dancing plagues. Uh, and in these cases, the cause would be believed to be some sort of a spirit or a curse. And there is evidence for this in art, literature, and law from these time periods and regions. So Waller writes, quote, Every so often, when physical and mental distress rendered people more than usually suggestible, the specter of the dancing plague could quickly return. All it then took was for one or a few poor souls believing themselves to have been subject to the curse to slip into a spontaneous trance. Then they would unconsciously act out the part of the accursed, dancing, leaping, and hopping for days on end. It's a different sort of compulsion than that found among the followers of Slanesh, but there are other examples of mass hysteria or mass psychogenic illness to consider, such as laughing epidemics and witchcraft panics, though of course Slanesh doesn't have to work through such real-world means to control people. I hope you enjoyed the series, and I'm always looking for new ideas to explore on the monster fact, the artifact, or some other spin on the short form format. Tune in for additional episodes each week. As always, you can email us at contact at stufftobillyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts are wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.